0: Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kitty That's me. Today we have Dr. Paral Dua Makar, who completed her Bachelor of Science. She completed a GPA training and has been in private practice ever since. Currently, she's the owner of PDM Family Dental in Long Island, New York. Her life took a different trajectory when she lost her only sibling to oral cancer last year. He was a dentist as well. Since his death, she's devoted her time educating doctors and patients alike about risk factors, prevention, and advocating for early diagnosis of oral cancer. She believes oral care is the gateway to overall well being and aims to have open conversations with her patients and us today. Thank you, Dr. McCarr. How are you today? Thank
1: you. Please call me Powell. And thank you, Katie. What a pleasure to be here.
0: Okay. Yeah, very sweet. Today, we're going to be talking about oral cancer, navigating grief, leaving a legacy, living life to the fullest, and how to survive and thrive after a loss, which I feel we all can relate to on so many levels internationally. Personally, uh, last week, I just had my teeth cleaned. I go twice a year growing up. Mom and dad always took me twice a year. I, you know, you'll be so excited to know and happy, but When I went, they did x rays, I had no new cavities. I just the one thing that was I had to do a replacement, but the replacement was from a cavity I had over 10 years ago. So (laughs) um, I'm pretty, pretty awesome and ecstatic that like my my grills are going nice. And for me, when I meet someone, it's like in the first three seconds, you just we judge people, we just naturally do it. We just read a room we we reread is this safe? How is this going? And for me, I, I like look at people's hygiene and their teeth. And I can tell by the way, how they care and how that applies to the principles of every area in their lives. So coming from you a specialist who's a dentist who's won many awards, let's talk about oral care and what that means for you.
1: So, you, like you said, you know, great job on making it to all the appointments. That's awesome. And it's so essential, you know, starting from younger on. And I feel like a lot of older people who have this phobia of dentists, and I get it, it is a very intimidating space to be in. Um, the dentist is up close in your, you know, personal space, and there's all these different tools and noises, and it, it can be quite daunting, but it's so important. And starting early on and building, you know, so that's why I see children and adults and try to build these positive relationships. And, and, you know, my care is very patient centric and not to do with insurances. It's you're in my care. We're talking about you. We're dealing with life around you because it's all related. You know, the mouth, I feel it's, I truly believe is a gateway to your overall health. If you don't have a nice smile, it affects your self-confidence. It affects, um, you don't want to take certain pictures in because I, I don't like this so tooth chipped. I have a missing tooth. It shows up dark, you know, even small little things. And it affects how we eat, what we eat. You know, if you don't have good hygiene. You may not want to be get close to somebody else if you have halostosis or you've got stained teeth. or And if there's something hurting and bothering you, you've got infections that's going through your entire body and your entire bloodstream. I mean, there's so many studies that have shown that oral health is linked to heart disease, to, of course, cardiac issues, to strokes, to uh, Alzheimer's, dementia. It's linked to even during pregnancy, you need to have good oral health. You know, it's a communicable disease. Cavities, if it's germs, it's bacteria, and you can transmit it. So it's just so important for just overall body. And the biggest thing I get for children is like, ah, the tooth's going to fall off. Why do I need to take care of it? Because kids are learning how to talk and communicate and social skills, and they need, they're self-conscious about their teeth too. They measure themselves with other people. So, and these teeth don't all fall out right away. They have these teeth till they're about 10, 12 years old. So it's important to keep and develop these great habits. So I'm so glad your parents installed. That in you, and and you're still going and doing it. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and let's just jump right into flossing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of. You know, information out there about flossing. So, uh, what is your take on flossing?
1: You must do it. And the thing is, why we want to emphasize on flossing is when you're brushing, you're really just getting half of your tooth structure where you're cleaning just the front and the back of your teeth. You're missing in between your teeth. So, if you have a lot of crowding or you have an appliance in your mouth, you may have dentures, you may have uh, implants, you may have braces, you're not going to be able to get on those areas. So, really get in there, floss to get in between the teeth so you can get all. All those areas clean and nothing stays. You know, manual dexterity is an issue and you just don't like flossing. There's other options. There's water flossers, water pigs so you can get in there and clean. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my mom has a water pick. She's in love with it. She's just yes. so obsessed with it. I haven't tried one, but I hear it's like the go-to. And, and I know it's like probably a tedious thing, but it's super important to make sure that you floss first and then brush. Like when I brush first and then I floss, then I have to brush again because it's like, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, you
1: want to floss, get all that stuff out and then brush it off, essentially, if you think of, if mentally you want to think of that way. Yeah, it's floss and then brush.
0: Yeah, and the other thing you said about confidence and photos, there's so many people, they're like, no, 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 no. Like, they don't like their smile. Like, they don't like taking photos. And on a psychological level, it's really disturbing if you have something going on in your mouth. Because then our minds, we just pick and pick. And we are, we're so hard on ourselves. So until we obsess over it until that thing is fixed. So instead of putting it off, which most people do, like, if you just nip it in the bud and take care of it, then you're actually helping your self-esteem and the other X, Y, and Z things that happen from... Um, like, procrastinating it. So what is your experience through the years and with your patients with that? Yeah,
1: you know, you hit the right word, procrastination, because, you know, the tooth is not something that heals on its own. Like, if you get a skin cut, it'll heal you a lot. You may get a scar tissue, but it heals on itself. But a tooth structure doesn't, and the nerve of the tooth right in the center. So when you get a cavity, it doesn't hurt. And so when I tell my patients, are like you went to your doc, your dentist, and he said you need a replacement. Nothing is um, forever. Things need to be, you know, replaced. We're chewing, eating, talking, and we put so much force on our teeth. Things do tend to break down. They need to be replaced. It's normal. But if we get to a cavity sooner, before it gets to the point where it's hurting, because the reason why it hurts is now the cavity's grown and it's now close to the nerve. And that's when people end up Having painful fillings, or they'll have root canals, or the tooth can break and fracture, and now it's more expensive. So it's actually easier to get to the problem uh, and solve it at an earlier stage. It's a more conservative treatment with a filling is less economical, right? It's, sorry, more economical. It's less expensive, and rather than you know doing a root canal and then a cap, and now there's more treatment, more time spent away from work or from home or whatever, and more time in the dental chair. So it's easier to get it sooner than later. Yeah, don't procrastinate. Yeah,
0: yeah. and then you know diving into oral cancer because honestly like who thinks about oral cancer right like I mean you only know about it or think about it if you go to school for it or if you know someone a family member someone close to you and it's like a thing that you hear and then people go to google and start researching like how to prevent oral cancer so you know for the ones that aren't thinking about oral cancer like how does oral cancer happen and what are some preventative measures that people can take and um awareness is if maybe it's happening and you just don't know that you maybe have it
1: okay so what causes oral cancer? Some of the most risk factors, which I think a lot of people are aware of, uh, is tobacco use. So vaping, chewing tobacco, smoking, piping smoking. All of those factors, alcohol use, the combination of alcohol and tobacco use. um, These are all some common, well-known risk factors. Also, betel quid, If people are chewing that, that's more to the South Asian community. But some of the, I think a lesser known factor is, and the reason why these cases have been increasing over the last few decades is because of HPV, which is called the human papilloma virus. And that's a virus that we, 80% of us in US will contract it. The good thing is that it heals or it, you know, eliminates your body within one to two years, but it can stay dormant and progress into oral cancer. And that causes oral cancer and oral cancer is divided into two or, you know, Stuff in the front of your mouth. So in your front, your tongue, your lip, um, sun exposure can cause basal carcinoma, you know, in the outside of your lip, not, it's just phrased differently. But so anything in the front of the mouth, bottom of the tongue, on uh, the borders of the tongue, um, uh, palate, that's all oral cancer. And then stuff on the back of the throat. So swallowing becomes an issue or anything in the posterior back throat area, that's oropharyngeal cancer. And that's more related to HPV. And HPV is the most common sexually transmitted disease in the United States. Oral cancer is the seventh most common malignancy in the world. And there are 54,000 cases that are detected annually in the United States. And the survival rate is only 50%. And it's just such a heart cancer because like you said, not a lot of people are aware about it. And it happens in the mouth and people don't think, they don't think to look under their tongue unless it's hurting or Bothering them. And that's why you come to the dentist to get it checked out. And it's also very close to vital structures, your lymph nodes, and it can progressively worsen and spread to different parts of the body very quickly. It has a higher rate of metastasis. If caught early, the chances of survival are, you know, great, 50%, but if not, then very low survival rate in a five-year period. And one of the things that your listeners should be aware is that anything in the mouth, you get burnt, you're drinking hot coffee, you get a cut eating a Dorito chip, you bite your tongue, anything, you're brushing and you hit yourself, anything in the mouth heals within two weeks. If it doesn't heal within two weeks, go get it checked out. Tell your doctor about it. Be careful about any lumps. You know, I'm not talking about you have a cold, And you got, you know, your lymph nodes are a little inflamed and it's on both sides. But if it's something on one side of your body, so you feel a lump in one side or it feels funny or you have trouble swallowing, you have a hoarseness that's not related to a cough or anything else, don't wait get it biopsied. Go in, see your dentist. Uh, they'll probably refer you to an ENT if they need to do a scope. You know, if there's a lesion that's non-healing and you see it's growing, you're having trouble eating, chewing, swallowing, get it biopsied. Because again, the earlier the diagnosis, the more conservative the treatment, the better chances of survival and living. So my brother was not as lucky, uh, but here I am to, you know, push this message out that Maybe one day I I can save a life with early diagnosis.
0: Yeah. So if if we may, let's just dive in with your brother. So he didn't catch it on time, was he? Did he not have symptoms? Like what happened? Like how was his journey like with oral sure. cancer? So
1: he was uh, just turned. 33. But he had this lesion present for months. And again, it was a non-healing. He was a dentist. And I think we make the most worse patients. And he was under the care of a physician, of an oral surgeon. And it was uh, written off as a lichen planus, which is also, uh, it's an autoimmune disease and it's painful. So it, Never got biopsy, and I think that's where it was the fault, where we didn't push for an earlier diagnosis because nobody's thinking cancer on a healthy thirty-year-old who's at the prime of his life with his own practice, and and he's you know he's a rugby player, he's doing all possible sports, he played badminton and and was out kayaking and golfing and you know prime of his life, non-smoker, so he didn't have a traditional risk factor. The only factor was that he was a male, and male have a higher tendency to are just more prevalent to cancer, and another fact, I wanted to point out that this HPV, which my brother did not have, however, this cancer is the same thing that causes cervical cancer in women, and that's where you get your pap smear. So it's the same thing, but in a different part of the body. But for my brother, yes, so he had this lesion that was non-healing and it was growing. And when it started to grow and it was really uncomfortable, that's when the biopsy done and it was stage two.
0: Where was the lesion?
1: On the side of his tongue.
0: On the side of the, t- on the tongue, there was on a the lesion. Tongue.
1: Yeah, on the like we say the lateral border, which is basically the side of the tongue. And it was only on one side, not bilateral, not on two sides, just on one side. And it was this non-healing, painful lesion that just subsequently just started growing. So initially it was non-painful and then it became painful over time.
0: And so he's a dentist. And so he wasn't aware uh, what was going on because he's a, you would think like he's a dentist. So he didn't know what was going on what did he think that happened to him no.
1: he's like i'm seeing my oral surgeon this is um you know like in planus it could be from my wisdom teeth and he had his wisdom teeth pulled out as well that irritation from a wisdom tooth so
0: around the same time around got the same the, time yes so he in, got the wisdom June. teeth pulled out and then he got the lesion and then
1: no no the lesion was still continuing and they thought the wisdom teeth was causing the lesion right? oh. irritation from a wisdom teeth right if you have like um even if you have dentures you have braces you sometimes cut your tongue and you get a lesion until you remove the cause of the lesion then the lesion self-improves so they thought it was something to do with the wisdom teeth and they had wisdom teeth pulled out hoping the lesion would heal on its own removing the cause of factor but that wasn't it you know again i think part of it is denial part of it is arrogance like this cannot happen to me i'm the dentist i cannot have you know and he talks about being, in his writings, he said, it's like the shoemaker whose own shoe is broken. You know, you do not ever think that you could have the big C word at the age of 30 something. This happens to older people. Like there is that illusion or disillusion that cancer can't happen to me. It happens to other old people who have who have been chain smokers or, or you know, chewing tobacco or alcoholics. It can't happen. I'm healthy. I'm at the prime of my life. It can't be me. And I think there was that denial and you kinda of have to go over that. And when then when they went to get the biopsy, it was a stage two with lymph node involvement. And then he had half his tongue removed and grafted and he had an eight hour surgery with a team of vascular surgeons, plastic surgeons, ENTs, and there's a whole team and he did great. He had a feeding tube, he had he was in the hospital for, I think, two weeks after the eight-hour surgery, and he had a graft taken from his left arm and another skin graft from his thigh, and he bounced back and was seen. He had a surgery in August of 2019. October 1st, he was seeing patients. He he was in Canada, and he visited me in September. After his surgery, he recovered phenomenally. So yeah, it was a big surgery, and he
0: bounced back. When he bounced back, then what happened? So then he,
1: you know, after a major surgery, he had a little bit of mental fogginess and his left arm wouldn't get numb where the graft was taken from. He had to learn how to speak again, talk again, chew again, because now his tongue was two different lengths, two different colors. Basically, half his tongue was removed, you know, and uh, he had a neck dissection ha- and lymph nodes were removed. But unfortunately, within eight months, he had another like uh, neck swelling and the lymph nodes, whatever lymph node involvement that he had in the re- lymph nodes that were removed weren't adequate. And so the cancer returned and it was very aggressive and they found something in his chest even. And this was right around the time of COVID. So April 15th, uh, sorry, April 17, 2022, uh, he had his, I'm sorry, so 2020, right when COVID hit 2020, he had a second surgery where he had to have the lymph nodes removed again from his neck. He had a recovery time and now he got chemo radiation to help with the cancer. So this was in 2020, the initial surgery. Within eight months, it's so aggressive. It traveled again and there was chest involvement, lung involvement, but it wasn't biopsied. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to hear. And I appreciate you being here and, you know, being vulnerable and just like talking about it, you know, to be a ripple effect for others, you know, who may have lost someone or don't know about this and tools to be able to grieve, you know, because I know we're going to get into that about grieving. But yeah, it's wow. It's like, yeah, like you said, you know, I'm the dentist. So how could this happen to me? I'm so young. How could this happen to me? And then we put things off. We give it excuses. So instead of it becoming aggressive later when there's a problem and we have no control, it's better for people to take initiative and to be more aggressive earlier on to get it checked out. Yeah, yeah
1: advocate for yourself you know hey this doesn't feel right yeah
0: because you go, go to it. the doctors and you think like they know the doctors know but they just obviously don't know everything they're human beings just like us but because we give them these titles they went to school they know everything recently actually um it was like my sternum i was i don't know it, like underneath it i had like a little bit of pain and i said i want to get an x-ray like I said that and so they sent me for an x-ray but she could have said oh it's nothing blah 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 and that's it but but because I did say, you know, I want to go to x-ray, like I saw the x-ray and the x-ray showed up nothing. You'd rather be safe and take the extra appointment to go get a checkout out just to be sure instead of being like, oh, yeah, like my doctor says it's nothing. And then something happens because my aunt, she was at home just doing a, a, a breast exam. You know, she felt something. And the next day she was going to the doctor's appointment. So she's like, oh, I'll just bring it up. So he did the breast exam and he's like, everything's fine. And she goes, oh, really, doc? Like, what about this? He didn't catch it. And she caught it earlier on and then she had it removed and she recovered and she's okay but it's those it's those finite stories like that it's not comfortable to talk about most people just want glitz and glam sos the shiny object syndrome but it's like we need to be able to educate with the things that i don't want to say seem boring but they're important not everything is a comedy movie you know it's like we need to be able to you know share and care in, in a healthy way so that's why and you have your own podcast so Do you want to tell, you know, the people tuning in about your podcast?
1: Sure. So Manu's death happened right at COVID. And this is, he was in Canada, I was in US and borders were shut. I could not travel freely. I had to get a compassion release. So Manu's cancer had progressively worsened in April of 2020. I was told not to come. I have young kids and COVID being a risk factor. He's immunocompromised. I have uh, elderly parents and travel, like everything was like, you know, it's all a blur, but you know, the world was in a confusion. So it's the worst diagnosis, the worst of times and the worst of circumstances. It's like the trifecta. As things were progressively worsened. He ended up in the hospital. He couldn't breathe in December of 2020. And they had um, found fluid in his lungs. The cancer had grown and PET scans revealed this is after getting chemo, after two surgeries, after radiation, after um, immunotherapy. So it's so aggressive. And they found that the cancer had spread to his bones and to his pelvic bone and and his legs. And and it was on the same side of the body. Everything's on the left. So that was in December. And I went to go see him and not knowing it would be the last time I'd see him alive. And I <laughs> I traveled with a compassion release from the government do, so that I didn't have to quarantine while I'm there. It's a whole lot of paperwork and special permission. They they call you and check in on you and you're not a threat to the uh, to the community. But I did that, just didn't even see my face because I was in the mask the whole time. And he was looking good, but unfortunately things started worsening. And this was the time when, you know, he was going undergoing treatment alone. Uh, not a lot of people, visitors were allowed during COVID. and the only people who saw him were like a few friends who were doctors themselves and could be in the hospital uh, as a physician and not as a friend. Parents were not allowed, you know, it was just drop off, do the treatment, come back. So the amount of mental strength he must have had to know that you're young and death is right around the corner, it took a lot. And, you know, it was very hard to even assess because he couldn't talk, couldn't speak. So I wasn't having phone conversations where him; would be on, you know, one line text or how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm going in because I've got this thing to do. I've got to get this done or something or the other. So a lot of time was in isolation for him. And um, unfortunately, the way he he passed. Was I was supposed to come in March of 2020? Just a week prior to me coming, he had a leg swelling unilateral, uh, one leg, and he ended up having a pulmonary embolism. So Friday night, he went to the hospital. My parents said, you know, he's having trouble breathing. We're taking him in. Call him tomorrow. No problem. Saturday, I'm at work. I get the call. Uh, you know, he's with the palliative team, and he's been at this point. More or less, he was getting home care with medication and pain, and uh, he was on a lot of uh, THC. And so they said, we're meeting with the palliative team. If you can get on a plane and be here, come. And we're still at the time of COVID and borders are shut. And I... um I actually had my PCP expedite my PCR test because that's what Canada needed. And I had the compassion release. So I got everything. But And I missed him by one day. I was told on Sunday morning, you need to say goodbye to him. He is going under organ failure. He's not going to maybe last. Uh, if you can get here, you know, get here. And that's the day I expedited everything on a Sunday, booked a flight for Monday. But that evening, as I packed my bags for my flight, uh, he passed. And, and it was such a weird time because I knew I was getting on a plane not to see my family. I'll know my brother will never come pick me again. I'm going there to plan a funeral. And there was no way to express grief because... Again, Canada had strict protocols. You couldn't see people. Uh, People weren't allowed to the funeral. Maximum of 10 people. We had a Zoom funeral. You know, like that grieving process, which you sometimes... You need your village of friends and family to be close to you. That wasn't there. And I was in a different country. I had to go back home and... You know, it was just this loss and this unexpressed love between family and friends. And that's where this podcast came up that I reached out to his closest people who were his inner circle, who were there, who knew Manu's different facets. Like I'm almost eight years older than him. So I was like a second mom, you know. So I got these little snippets, little stories that I didn't know about Manu. And, you know, they shared how meaningful he was in their lives and how he was in his end stages. And, and one of them was there to say the last goodbye that I, you know, I didn't get that chance in person. And were they able um, to
0: like film it or take photos or? Video I did take or- photos.
1: Did I have video. Filmed? Yeah, I have video. Um, my parents messaged me, video messaged me. I did say goodbye to him on a video call, just like you and I are talking right now, but not in person. But I was there for the funeral. I did plan the funeral. I did get to say goodbye to him in, person to his body but um, so I did get closure but this whole podcast was about getting closure about expressing this unexpressed love a lot of people couldn't make it to the funeral because of the because of COVID people were sick or because of um, space restrictions you know we're doing this on Zoom I mean how do you how do you express grief on Zoom you need a hug you need that you know emotional connection and that was devoid and this is why it was such a unique situation and And I consider myself lucky that I was able to be there for the funeral and do the last rites and and have a memoriam. And, you know, we had a celebration of life a little bit later when protocols were a little bit relaxed, but I was able to do those things. A lot of people during COVID didn't have that opportunity. So I do consider myself lucky, but that's where this podcast comes and it's talking to only doctors. Um, Some of them are uh, emergency room doctors, ICU doctors and dental specialists. And we just
0: talk about life,
1: the book, Manu, you know, the essence of him that's no longer there
0: yeah yeah um is it ongoing the podcast um or is it uh was it a series or will you continue to record episodes along the way for education and sharing more stories as they come up
1: so right now it's just we did it as a series it started uh on his death anniversary march 14th and we ended it on his birthday which is june 27th so it's a limited edition and i think a lot of that was my healing and as things as I, as with time, maybe I will have thought about it um, to continue it as more of an educational rather than focusing it on Manu and the book. But this was about what he left behind, the words he left behind.
0: So beautiful. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Wow. Also, I was on a podcast called grieving voices with victoria she's fabulous i can introduce you i think it would be awesome for you to be a guest on her show oh that'd Um, be amazing she has this one episode and it says the six myths of grieving and how like we need to grieve alone and you know, I was taught like, go to your room. And, you know, I'd be crying in a closet. or I'd be stuffing my face in a pillow, like so frustrated as a kid. Like, why am I even here? Like, I was so mad and, and I was just alone. And then, and then years go by and I'm a young adult and I get, you're too old to cry. You're never too old to cry. You never know, like, old. what are you crying for? Like, it doesn't, okay. it's Not like no defense, what I- are you crying for? But it's like yeah it's like oh it's not like why are you crying it's like why are you crying like you know like there's different ways of checking in and holding space and So it's important when you're grieving to be able to grieve with people who actually have some kind of empathy and compassion. Because if you're trying to grieve with people who don't have the capacity, because most people are feared to say the big C word. Most people are feared Mm -hmm. to talk about the big D word, right? Most people are so scared, probably even to be listening to this episode right now, because it's a superstition. They don't want it to happen to them. So people avoid certain things like we just talked about because you know it takes courage right and it's like a a whole layer so it's important when grieving and, you know, sharing to check in to ask, you know, can I share something with you because they will tell you like, no, I'm, I'm busy or I can't because then sometimes we're pouring our hearts out. And if they don't have the emotional like intelligence to be able to receive it just to hold space, not to solve it, but just to hold space. I think it's really important, you know, to bring that up. Because a lot of times my energy, right, it doesn't matter if it's good, bad, up, down, it's energy going out and we want the train track to leave the station and to come back. And a lot of times I felt like I was putting my energy out on so many different levels, but it wasn't being reciprocated. And what we want that soothing, we want that healing. So for you, when you were grieving, were you one aware of that to have trusted sources of people you could grieve with? Or did you find what I'm talking about along the journey when you were grieving and and felt frustrated that you weren't actually getting that soothing reciprocal grieving Mm -hmm. that you wanted to grieve with someone? You want to shed some light on any of those things maybe? Yeah,
1: you know, grieving is very important that you need to cry or scream or or let it out you know because otherwise it builds up internally and it becomes worse right you just need to it's like a volcano if you keep it in it um it'll explode one day and on something so trivial and so like that process and acknowledging grief and you know grief will hit you I describe grief as this burden that I carry every day all right I am never going to see my brother my family's incomplete I have lost things that I was entitled to being an aunt having an extended family and I know with My parents, when they cross over, they, my core. Of who I am, it will dissipate with them, you know. And I have a part of my future taken away from me, so that grief hits you on different parts of your life, right? Like maybe a celebration, and then you realize what you've been devoided of. And so grief comes in these waves. It's this burden I carry, and some days it's very hard burden to carry, and I'll cry for no reason. It'll, It'll remind me of things, and some days I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I had those memories. I got to live the life. I got to be a part of my brother, and so it comes and goes, and it's so important. And you know, you talk about emotional intelligence that is so key. A lot of people who haven't traveled your way or your footsteps or your path don't know the magnitude of grief. They don't know how grief is this, Big giant thing, or even the D word, you know, death. Like Manu, I knew Manu's prognosis. Manu knew his prognosis. My parents have seen death close, and we all knew that it was eminent. It was just around the corner. It was a matter of time. But we never talked about it. We want. It was this big elephant in the room that nobody wanted to discuss because we didn't want to face it, you know. And and a lot of times, yes, I experienced not, you know, even. Family and friends that I did not, that I was leaning or hoping to lean on for support, weren't able to give that to me. And a close family friend of mine's like, "I don't know how to deal with grief because they've just never had it. You know, they're lucky, whatever." Well, that's it's, an it, honest. It, it's starting not their
0: fault, but and that's an honest starting point, though. You yes. know, like yeah. let's start there. Like, like, right? Or call it out, and it might be uncomfortable. Be like hey, I'm, I I need to grieve. Like, I know you're suffering too. Like, we're affected by this same person. Like, it's okay to not be okay, just so you know. It's okay that you feel uncomfortable and you don't want to have this conversation. And it's okay for me to let you know, like, I love you and I'm here no matter if it's good or bad. We don't, fine, we don't need to talk about it, but let's just call an elephant an elephant or a spade a spade. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Okay, now what? Start dealing, start dealing with that messiness and then you can start sorting things one by one. But we need to take responsibility to rise the vibration and the boundaries and how we communicate with others, because a lot of times we're people pleasing. We don't want to get someone upset. We don't want to get them mad. But then we're actually then suffering from inside. We actually need to roar out, like you said. We need to scream. We need to roar yes. and break out of it because I am not okay right now, and I, and I know you're not okay or you can't be okay. So let's let's raise the bar, even though it's going to get messy. But you know there has to be. I guess certain boundaries too, I guess because it's not dealt with and discussed, there's no like healthy boundaries on how to deal with X, Y, and Z. Like how do you set up healthy boundaries with people who just are not even tuning into those kind of things at all, right?
1: Right, right. right. And it's also recognizing your triggers. I know my triggers. And, and I know when I'm internally happy, like when Manu passed within a few months, there were all these occasions that, you know, someone's birthday is a big celebration within my husband's family. And, and I told my husband, I'm like, you go, this is your family, but I internally cannot. I'm not in a good space right now. And I don't want to bring my negative energy into somebody else's happy space. And it's recognizing that and saying, you know what, I'm not ready today. I'll be ready tomorrow or the next week or whatever, you know, but I need that space and learning how to walk away, cry, and then join when you're mentally ready, because it doesn't serve anybody any good. You know, you talk about energy. And it's so true. I mean, you walk in, right? Like when you're around certain people, you feel this aura, like, oh, it's so nice to talk to them, even if you don't talk to them. They're just in the room and their presence brings you a calming effect or a threatening effect, right? It's just this energy that we carry. It's something we can't see with our five senses. We can't, but you do feel it. And it's the same thing. And if you're not internally happy, um, then you're not bringing that positive vibe with you where you go. So recognizing those factors. So I've recognize that it's been a process acknowledging that yes I was hurting and yes I'm grieving I need help finding the help finding people you know that I realize that I'm close to may not necessarily be but a stranger can help me because they have no predisposing conditions about me or my life or anything and they're just listening to me in the moment that I am not attached to any of my past right like that moment that this tragedy happened and um and removing guilt and blame. Like, you know, there's a certain guilt factor that I had that here I am. I'm a dentist and I couldn't save him. I couldn't get him the right treatment because of the circumstance. I just didn't happen. He didn't live here. I couldn't force him to get a biopsy sooner. I told him to get a biopsy, but he's like, no, I got this under control. I'm like, all right, trusting that. But, you know, so there was all these factors. I couldn't help my parents during Manu's treatment because... COVID. I couldn't be there physically. Time, distance, the COVID, nobody knew what was going on. So there are all these instigations and letting go of that guilt and that hurt and trying to live. And yeah, so I created this village because I didn't have this. I didn't have cousins next to me. I didn't have, I lost both my grandparents during COVID because they were older. They were in their 90s. I lost a brother. I didn't have, I grew up in different parts of the world. So I didn't have my best friend from kindergarten right around the corner from me. No, she's somewhere else. You know, I grew up, um, I'm born in India. I grew up in Middle East and I went to school in the US. Um, I worked and lived in Canada. And now I'm back in New York. So I I have friends all over the world. So I didn't have this core group of friends that I've grown up with. I have no family of my immediate family of my own physically close to me. So my parents are doing their grieving that they've lost a child and I'm grieving my grief of a sibling loss, which is very unique because my parents have another kid and they have grandkids. I don't have any other siblings. I cannot share that loss with anybody else. It's a very unique Loss. And I'm going to f- feel this loss when I sit and plan my parents' funeral. I'm not going to have anybody to share the nuances of parents, you know, these stories with anybody. I'm just going to sit there alone and it's realizing these things and it's a grief of its own. So it's acknowledging this, realizing these things, getting the help and understanding that, you know what, this happened. I cannot change the past, but I can make a better future and I can do something positive. Share the story, share the message push people to better themselves and read what he wrote, you know, with the book and, and stuff. So yeah, yeah. that's all I can do.
0: Thank you for sharing <laughs> um, with all that you share so far, I would like to know, you know, cause a lot of people feel how you feel of what you said, disconnected from communities, alone, although they know people around the world, still feeling alone. Like a lot of people, you know, my grandpa used to say, we come into the world and we leave this world alone. Like we come in alone, we leave alone. And that was very like, wow, wise, right? Like sovereign beings. So what are some, you're up for a lot of awards. You've won a lot of awards. You're all about empowerment, women empowerment. So what are some individual tools that maybe you haven't mentioned yet, or you want to re mention about feeling alone feeling that like you have this like space of just individualism to get through these very difficult times, because this principle can apply to any situation that someone's growing through.
1: So one was forging these relationships with strangers, like I said, finding new friendships that fit your space, letting go and saying no to things that didn't make my heart happy. Recognizing those, right? Like we are so like we're people pleasing. We want to do this. Yes, we're going to do that. Yes, we want to. Oh, yes, I'll be there. And when you realize, you know what? It doesn't serve me any purpose, bringing me any joy or it's not helpful. And I don't want to run from one place to another place. Letting align that ability to say no and being okay with it. I think that was very important for me. Also writing, that helped me grieve, And it's just a process of getting the energy out, right? So if people go out for a run or they cry or they scream or they go punch, a punching bag, you know, whatever, getting that energy out of you. And for me, it was writing. I wrote his story on his laptop. I got his last wish, you know, trying to complete the things that Manu wasn't able to complete. Like we planned a vacation together, but COVID hit and his cancer returned. So I took that vacation later on. So it's like filling in those checking off those boxes like living life in the true sense not leaving things to be let done later living in the moment were you were you
0: celebrating like he was there when yeah. he went on the vacation instead of oh my god he, yeah there's probably there was, grieving moments but you had celebratory moments as right. well right
1: and he was there with me. And this is a whole different topic that I could talk about is how I received signs from him that he was there. I mean, it's like little things like I landed um, and our flight came in from Dallas. We had a flight that landed with the same carousel as from Calgary and Vancouver, where he went to school in Vancouver and we lived in Calgary, you know, and then we went on this, we were in Maui and we went to Road of Hannah, and, and this was the craziest thing or driving in this. And have you ever taken the road to Hannah in Maui? No. No. So it's a stingy little road. It's one side is a cliff uh, and the ocean. And the other side is this mountain, It's beautiful scenery. And it's like, it's turned, twisted. There are parts of the road where you kind of only one car can pass. So we went, we did this. It's like a six, seven hours one way and then a 12 hour round trip. And we get to Hana, which is a small little town in the middle of Maui. And it's a town of a thousand people. My husband's like, you know, let's just go a little bit. Let's go get something to eat. Or so we keep driving on this dirt road. It's a town, a small town, thousand people we reach this house and it said hale manu hale meaning house of manu and i was like back up i need to take a picture of this i mean this was just Wild in this middle of nowhere. <laughs> there he was. <laughs> so but these are all these little little signs, and I've learned how to recognize these signs and bring comfort. Um, and that's helped me grieve that you know energy is neither created nor destroyed, it's transferred, and he's around there somewhere, still there, listening and helping and guiding. And it's letting yourself open to these possibilities, right? Not closing, asking for help. Like I've, you know, before it's like, yeah, I can do it all, yeah, I can do everything, I can take care of a business and kids and life and, and and do all the things, but I can't. I really do rely, you know, on my family, my husband, my parents, my manu and everything. You know? Yeah. And just being open to it and asking for help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Asking for help is so important. And and just getting back to basics, like A B C like we have this extension of illusion of all the things we want to do. But when we get to the intentionality of our cores and what matters, I think it's a really important thing for all of us to tune into. It's really, really important. With that being said, I agree. I think it's a whole nother podcast episode. Um, Just real quick. I have like ever since I was little, I remember for me, I saw things and I thought the universe and God spoke to me with colors and symbols. Like I would, if I was traveling or when I was like, when I was, you know, traveling as I got older, but when I was a kid, I would just if I didn't know left or right or what to do, I would look, I would look for a color. If it was red, it was green, red mean stop, green mean go. Like I would trust the intelligence and the intuitive nature of, you know, my own intelligence and the universe that we were connected in that way to lead me and tell me where to go. Cause everyone's going to tell you something. There's so many different ways that you can go. So having those awarenesses and signs, I I definitely think that's like a full episode um, to dive into (laughs) because I'm sure you have a lot of stories.
1: A lot of stories. And the Best story, and I, you know, you talk about a universe is, um, have you ever seen the Northern Lights?
0: I've heard of Northern Lights. I have not personally now. The
1: Aurora Borealis. My husband and I were big, you know, big into it. We went to Iceland to look for them. We couldn't find them. And I was there for Manu's funeral in Calgary. And the morning of his funeral, we can't sleep, right? I mean, uh, this devastation happened. So I track, I have a a Facebook group and, you know, it's middle of the night. I'm like, you know, let's see what's going on. You have to track KP levels. You have to track um, solar flares, all of this stuff, the weather. Uh, So I'm like, you know what? This looks good. Let's go out there. And I go out there with my mom and we see the Northern Lights. We see them dance in Calgary. It's about a half an hour out of the city limits. And in the Canadian culture or the the natives, it is said that the Northern Lights are the old souls coming to earth to take the new souls up, and it's a moment to rejoice. And, and they say, even in the Northern, you can, if it's very quiet, you can actually listen to them um, dance and they sing to you. And we saw that my mom and I, that Morning uh, at one a.m. on March twenty-first, and that was the day we cremated Manu. And you
0: know that's World Poetry Day.
1: Look at that, <laughs> and that's the day we said goodbye to his body. And um, but it was so significant that if. You know, I've traveled all this time and and I go Calgary all these years and I track them. and never saw them. I saw them that day. And that was the universe telling me that he's okay, He's good. He's happy. He's not hurting. And he's in a better space. And it's allowing yourself to acknowledge and be open to that. And yeah, just whisper to it, to the universe. It answers back.
0: Yeah, that's a really beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Two last things. Uh, one, uh, where can everyone find you? Everything will be in the show notes, but let people know the best way to contact you.
1: Sure. So I'm on Instagram at PDM Family Dental or at do a good job, which is D-U-A, good job. And then uh, the book, which my brother wrote and I helped finish is on Amazon and it's called Life Interrupted, Doctor Dua's do a Survival Guide. Yeah, the Instagram is kind of the best way to reach out to me.
0: Cool, cool. And then honoring you as a leader with Women Empowerment and all your accomplishments thus far, and all of them will be in the show notes, but what are, you have some awards coming up. Can you share highlights of the awards you have coming up that you're up for? Sure.
1: So I have a couple. I am nominated for the Women of Inspiration. Uh, That's a Canadian-based for women who have done something to help the community and the world get better. And I'm also being honored for Outstanding Women's Achievement by the Indian American Forum, which is a nonprofit based in Long Island. Uh, I have received the Denobi, which is a uh, dental award in the dental field for um, people uh, by my peers for the work that I do, as well as the Long. Island Excellence uh, in Healthcare Award. And I've been the Power Women of Long Island for the work I share and do. So yeah, so a few.
0: <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. That's so yeah. nice. Congratulations. and Thank you. Thank, Thank you yeah. so much for coming on and sharing. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Katie.
0: Yeah, everyone, please share this episode with at least one person. Make sure you go and get your teeth cleaned. And or if you know someone that needs to get their teeth cleaned, maybe do a checkup and be like, hey, have you gotten your checkup? Check in with them. I know it's it's a hard thing to discuss when people have like bad breath. You just don't even want to really go there. But, you know, maybe make a nice suggestion or send a text or something and just, you know, say, uh, like, you need to go get your teeth cleaned or something like that. You know, it's important to speak up and say something than to not say anything at all. You know, there's a lot of preventative measures. So with that being said, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out.